Hey, good morning. My name is Neil Davidson. If I've not had the pleasure to meet you yet, I look forward to being able to do so after our service. And it's great to welcome you to our second service here on the first Sunday in September at the Hope Chapel. Hey, um, let me add to Steve's encouragement to take a moment and in particular share with us any praises or prayer requests that we can be praying for you uh, with or th- and, and join you in praying for throughout the week. A little later in our service, when the offering plates are passed, you can just place those right in there, and they'll get back to the office, and we develop a prayer list each week and get a chance to uh, pray with you throughout the course of the week for the things that are on your heart. So, you know, um, many of you are aware of the fact that Christina and I had the privilege this summer, as a part of our 30th anniversary, as well as just uh, after being at Hope for the last 12 years, of just taking a few weeks to kind of decompress and back away, we had a chance to spend a lot of time in Europe, and... Uh, Obviously, when you go to Europe and you travel in some of the bigger cities, one of the things you do is you see lots of churches, some of the old church buildings, some of them dating literally a thousand years back or more. And and we saw a number of of very impressive and ancient structures over the years, whether it was in uh, Budapest when we saw uh, the Matthias Church, which is literally right across the square from where we were staying, a church that dates back to... I don't know, about 1,000 A.D., so it's, it's, it's almost 1,000 years old, whether it was uh, St. Stephen's Basilica that was in Vienna or St. Peter's Church that was there, whether it was St. Mark's Church, which is on the square in Venice. I think the only church that has a ocean-fed baptistry every time there's high tide, the water comes literally right up through the floor of the, of the building uh, on, on, at high tide every, every time, as well as uh, just some, obviously in Rome, there were tremendous of churches. But, and they're a little different tradition than us, and they come out of a different era, but, but all of these churches had tremendous artwork inside of them. Now, I, I'm not an art guy, right? You know, so it's a little hard for me to dial in, but... but, but I really did have my antenna up as to the kinds of things that we, we see. And in particular, one of the things I was looking for was the way that they depicted Jesus. The way that they thought of or remembered Jesus. And so the most dominant image that you would find in any of these churches was a, was a picture or some kind of representation, whether it was a sculpture or something else, of Jesus hanging on the cross. Right? I mean, whether it was behind the altar or along the walls, many places, paintings on top of the ceiling, etc. The picture was of Jesus hanging on the cross, you know, with the nails in his hands, the nails in his feet, his head bowed with the with the thorn of crown the, the, the crown of thorns, and he's bleeding and etc. And and the imagery obviously there is of Jesus as the Savior, the Redeemer, the suffering servant who redeems us, buys us back, pays our ransom for for the sins of the world. That's one image. Another image that was very common was an image of either, primarily of Jesus in the arms of Mary. The baby Jesus, right? I mean, that was one of the dominant themes. I mean, it's one of the images that comes to our minds, right? The baby Jesus in the manger, right? You know, so here was the, the infant Jesus, the Word made flesh, the Son of God becoming one of us and in the full vulnerable place in the hands of the Mother Mary. And in some ways, I think in their tradition, the imagery that they try to suggest is that Mary is the nurturer of the church. Not something I could get into. I don't really think there's that kind of truth that comes from the Scripture. But that was the dominant image that came out. Of course, there were other things around. Jesus says, a miracle worker. So you had some photo, you know, kind of images of him walking on the water or, 
or calling Lazarus forth from the grave, or healing the lame man who couldn't walk, or bringing back sight to the blind, or whatever. And for me, it was interesting that often you had to have somebody explain to you that that's what the picture, what the painting was trying to convey to you. You know, as you're looking at it, it's like, what's going on in that? And that's kind of imagery. But one of the things that was remarkably absent, I'm not saying it wasn't there at all, but one of the things that was remarkably absent with Jesus' role as a teacher. Now, that strikes me as being relevant to our conversation this morning. You know, A.W. Tozer one time said that, you know, the most important thing about a person is what they think of when they think about God. We could probably transition that just a little bit this morning to say one of the most important things about us is what we think of when we think about Jesus. And we think of Jesus as the Savior. He's the one who died in our place and redeems us from our sins. We're good with that. We think of Jesus as the miracle worker, right? We, we, we love that piece of it. You know, where you know, he, he brings back the, the dead to life and etc. and feeds the 5,000 from a couple of fishes and and, and a few loaves and that kind of... We, we love the miracle worker piece. But one of the things that doesn't kind of come to mind all that often is Jesus' teacher. And, and I think we do so at a great peril. Uh, and, and so I want to spend some time this morning helping us re-grasp Jesus' role as teacher in our lives. And, and I think it's a po- an important thing to do for, for a number of reasons. And one of those is because, really, if we're going to embrace Jesus as he really is, we need to embrace Jesus as he understood himself. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. I'm going to refer to a number of different passages this morning. Most of the core ones will be in the Gospel of John, so I encourage you just to kind of get into the Gospel of John, and we can flip before, between some of the chapters. And I want to start with John chapter 13. And we're going to pick up in the 12th verse, and, and this is on page 915 if you're using one of our pew Bibles. Up underneath the chair in front of you or underneath you, there should be a, a Bible. I encourage you to pull it out. Turn to page 915 with me. I think it's really powerful for you to see it in black and white or whatever color of the screen on your phone or your tablet is, and, and, and see the words written as God's gift to us as I read them to us. Now, some of you will quickly recognize that this experience in John chapter 13 comes from the very last night of the life of Christ. Christ is, is in the upper room with the disciples. Just before, just after this, there's a celebration of the Lord's Supper, which we continue to use today. And in the midst of this, Jesus gets up from the table, and he changes clothes. He takes off his, role, his, his, role, his robes, and, as a leader, and he puts on the garment of a servant, and he goes around the table, and he washes the feet of each of his disciples. And when he gets back to the table, and he sits down, he says in verse 12, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again, and he said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. And this is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, 
have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, laying aside the example that he was giving, notice that Jesus understood himself to be a teacher. When you and I don't embrace Christ's role in our lives to teach us, we are actually rejecting a part of who Jesus is. We, we are rejecting what he understood his mission to be. And so he said, you are right when you call me teacher. Because I, he understood that to be a part of his role. And, and the scripture continues to, 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 to paint that picture for us. I love it back in John chapter 1. And you might want to just flip back there just a few chapters with me. John chapter 1, page 899 in your pew Bibles, just a, a few pages back. I mean, this is a kind of a long prologue. It's, a, it's almost like a long poem about the coming of, of God into the world and the person of His Son. And as he gets down to verse 18 and he brings it to conclusion, God says this through the Apostle John. He says, no one's ever seen John, God. I mean, no one's ever seen God. The one and only Son, it's a reference to Jesus, the one who's now at the Father's side, Again, that's to Jesus. He has revealed him. I actually like some of the translations. It says he has explained him. Jesus was aware of the fact that he came into the world to take that which had been hidden and to make it known. His role was to explain, to, to teach, to present God to the world. The book of Hebrews puts it this way. It says, you know, God spoke to his people in many ways for many centuries through the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us through His Son. Jesus is a teacher. It was who He was when He was on the planet. It is who He is now as He is the resurrected Lord. He is our teacher. And when you and I don't dial into Him as our teacher, we do so in our spiritual apparel. You know, even Jesus' opponents, those who resisted him, rejected him, those who even eventually crucified him, they recognized that Jesus was a teacher. John chapter 3, verse 2, just a, a, just a couple of uh, chapters over from where you were, just were, and I know I'm kind of working your fingers a little, little bit this morning, but you'll survive. Um, page 901. Again, you guys will remember, this is the encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin. He's one of the core leaders of the nation of Israel. And he comes to Jesus by night because he doesn't want anybody to know that he's there. He's not sure about this whole thing. And he shows up and look what he says in verse 2. He says, this man came to Jesus by night. And he said, Rabbi, in other words, teacher, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one could perform these signs that you do unless God were with him. Now, even those who weren't sure about Jesus, even those who were going to come to reject Jesus, they understood that he was a teacher. Over in Mark's Gospel, 12th chapter, there's a, an experience in there where the religious leaders are trying to, they're, they're trying to lower Jesus' uh, standings in the popularity poll, right? Getting up, up to election day, right? Like Tuesday, right? You're all going to go vote in the primary on Tuesday, right? You know, let me get my go pats and go vote out of my system this morning. But, and... and so they're trying to trap Jesus. One of, the most, one of the least popular things in all of the nation of Israel was paying taxes to Rome. 
They hated paying taxes in general, but in particular, they hated paying taxes to Gentile heathens, right? And so they're ready to try to trap Jesus. So they send these, this, these folks out to Jesus to ask him the question. Say, you know, and so they kind of bait Jesus. You know, they, they say, you know, listen, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. We also know you don't defer to any man. That you're going to tell us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, no matter what it's going to cost. So here's our question for you. So even in the midst of their question, they're recognizing the fact that Jesus is a teacher. And so they say, well, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Some of you know how the story goes. Jesus says, well, bring me a coin. He says, well, whose image is on the coin? Well, it's Caesar's. He says, well, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And give to God that which belongs to God. But even in the midst of that, they recognize that Jesus is a teacher sent from God who's going to speak the truth. i got to tell you, to a certain extent, this still happens today. I mean, there, there are people, in a, in, in our, even in our region, who are worshiping this morning. They, they don't really believe in God as a personal being, but they accept Jesus as a teacher. They don't believe he's the son of God, but they see him as a teacher. They reject a lot of his identity, but they embrace that identity, that he has something to teach us of value. You know, Christina and I, a couple years ago, had the privilege of going to Israel on a, on a tour. And um, we just kind of tagged along with, with the Gallaghers with another church group that had about 85 people that were on this tour. And, and so we, every tour has an Israeli tour guide. And the these guys are highly trained. You have to go through like a two-and-a-half to three-year certification process before you can become a, a guide, a certified guide in Israel. I mean, when you're, one of your major industry is tourism, you don't want the guys who are leading the tours to be bad because it's going to kill your business as a nation pretty fast. So these guys have to be well-trained. And, and our, our tour guide, like probably most of them, was excellent, you know. But, I, you know, it... And, and I'm sure they get used to this after a while because a lot of the tours are, are church-based tours or whatever. So there's some people in our group who were kind of pestering him about what he really thought about Jesus. You know, they, he was Jewish. They knew he didn't really believe in Jesus. So, you know, well, well what do you do with Jesus? This kind of thing, you know. And I'll never forget the statement he made. This is a guy who didn't, does not embrace Christ as God in human flesh. But I remember, never remember, he says, you know, I wish Jesus had lived longer because I think he had a lot of good things to teach my people. Even those who reject Christ, they see him as a teacher. Now, I want to one more kind of emphasis in this area. Walk through the Bible ministries, okay? That they've done some kind of an assessment of the teachings of Jesus that you find in the four gospels. And what they have concluded is that 69% of them, you guys all right with rounding up to 70%, 70%, 7 out of 10 of his teachings are application-oriented. Let me state that a different way. Maybe we'll have more. 70% of what Jesus taught is something that we're supposed to do. Pray for your enemies. Love your neighbor. Turn the other cheek. You know, take up your cross and follow me. Don't worry, but try. You know, the list just goes on and on. There are things that we're supposed to do. The Christian 
Life is Christian living. It's not just having some set of orthodoxy kind of rules over here, but it's taking truth and applying it to our lives and doing that stuff. And in order to do that, we have to know that stuff. And that's why Jesus came to teach. And that which he taught is intended to be translated into how we live. Now, you put that against the backdrop of the fact that the vast majority of people like you who go to church on a regular basis, spend virtually no time reading the Bible. I mean, statistics show that the average believer, the average churchgoer, really doesn't read the Scripture at all, or if they do so, they just do small little portions. They pick up, and I'm not trying to, to, to denigrate this or whatever, but they pick up their open windows, and they read the little phrase, of a, which is a portion of one verse at the top of the thing, and they read the few little words at the bottom, and then they're done. And that's their time with God that they... More believers today probably spend time reading Christian authors than they do reading about Christ from the Scriptures. You know, we're reading Rick Warren or John Piper or John Calvin or whoever it is. We, we got all the stuff that we're reading, but we're not really reading the Scriptures. And a lot of it, I think, is that we just figure, well, you know, we're really not going to miss it much. And I've got to tell you, that, that, that is probably one of the stupidest conclusions that we can draw. But in the back of our minds, I think somewhere there is this, there's this understanding that somehow or another we can just do life without what God has to teach us. You know, some ways we think, well, you know, what I don't know won't hurt us hurt me. You know, I just kind of plead ignorance and I can kind of get through. And probably because God is gracious and merciful, kind of we, sometimes that works out. We make mistakes. We learn from it. God forgives us. We kind of move on. And, and we're, but we think, you know, you know, if I don't know it, it's not, not really a big deal, you know. We were traveling this summer and, and we were actually drove with my sister from Poland to Budapest. So we had to go through Slovakia to get there. And you know, she, she's with the International Mission Board. She had a car, whatever. So she knew that when you, when you travel in Slovakia, um, you, you, it's kind of like an, like an easy pass kind of thing. I think most of those people kind of have transponders they put on. But when you're traveling there, as, as just traveling through the country as a, as a guest, there's no way to pay for your tolls at the tolls. It's all just automated. So you have to stop as you enter into the country at a gas station and buy a like a little sticker that you put on your windshield, and it reads it as you go through, and you pay a certain amount for it to get it. So we stop, we buy it. You know, she's, uh, we're kind of in a hurry. She peels the thing off, slaps it on our windshield, right, in the bottom left-hand corner, and off we go. So we get a few miles down the highway in Slovakia. We're all looking around or whatever, that kind of thing. I get a little bored, and I, I pick up the wrapping that had got tossed on the floor. I'm looking at it and say, you know, that was supposed to go in the top right corner, not the bottom left corner of the windshield. So we're flying down the road. I don't know. She's doing like 120 kilometers or something an hour, you know. And, and, and um, like all the David, she drives fast. And so, you know, she's trying to peel the thing off. And it's starting to rip and that kind of stuff. So we pull over to the side of the highway, you know. And, and she's trying to get the thing off so we can move it up to the right. Because we don't know if it's going to read it and that kind of stuff, you know. And, and it starts to tear more. And so she, she literally just says, you know what? If we get pulled over, we're just going to plead ignorance, you know. We, we just didn't know any better, right? And that's the way a lot of us want to live. We were, as soon as she, those words were out of her mouth, there was a cop behind us with his lights on. Zzz, 
you know, and I'm thinking, we're going to jail. You know, uh, no. And, and he, he comes up and he's really mad. You can't stop on the highway, you know, in his broken English. And well, we're trying to move this. I said, don't worry. I mean, it worked out all right. You know, he let us go and that kind of thing. But, but sometimes that's just the way we want to kind of live our lives. We'll just, we'll just do it and read the directions later and then just plead ignorance. But I got to tell you, when you and I do that, we leave a lot of stuff on the table. I, I think there's a lot of things that God can teach us that adds value to our lives that we just never really get. You know, I told the first service when in our travels this summer, we, we, my mother-in-law came to join us when we were in Italy. So when we were in Rome, we, we had found a site. And we actually rented a three-bedroom apartment instead of having a couple of motel rooms. And it actually turned out to be cheaper. So Christina and I got there a day before her mother. And so we show up at, the, at this um, apartment. The guy's there to meet us. And, and it's the penthouse apartment. That sounds really great, right? But it's on the sixth floor. So, you know, we get there, we, we buzz in, he hits the button, we get the door, we go in, and, and I'm looking around, and, there, and there's no elevator. You know, and we got this 50-pound suitcase, and this 40-pound suitcase, and then the light one that she's rolling, you know, and that kind of thing. So, you know, we start up the stairs. You know, sweat's just pouring off. You know, it's, it's like 95 degrees out, and the stairwell isn't, you know, that kind of thing. And the next thing you know, this, this guy's running down the stairs. And I know who I, he, he, gets to, um, he finally gets down and says, he said, you need some help? with Because it was the guy who was meeting us. It was his apartment that we were renting. It was actually his, his, been his grandparents' place, and they were now trying to do this, and et cetera. So he said, you know, there's an elevator right there. And, and the elevator door looked like, like it was like a janitor's closet. You know, it's not like the big double-wide ones that we get or whatever. It's just, it's just a little door about this wide. I don't even, the suitcase really was hard to get. You know, but I wish I had known that three floors down. You know what I mean? And sometimes we just want to, we just kind of live life the hard way. We miss out on what he has to teach us. I mean, another example. Some of you know, Christina and I, we, we live just in a, a basic ranch house here in Sterling. It's just a spec house that was built back in the 70s, and we've lived there now for 20 years. So like most of those, when, when we bought the house, everything in the hallway, the bathroom doors, the bedroom doors, the, the little vacuum closet, the linen closet in the, in, in the bathroom, all just had these hollow core linen uh, uh, Luan doors. You, you know what I'm talking about? Those are the ones that can make you look like you're a black belt. You can just go, and you, know, you can put your arm right all the way through both sides of it because it's just this little flimsy kind of wood. You don't stop any noise or anything else. So, you know, we had those in the house for a number of years, and, and and then I noticed that one of the local box stores was selling solid core, six-panel raised pine doors for like 60 bucks a piece. So I went over there, and I, and I bought all the doors that I needed to replace everything on the hallway, the, bed, bat, the, down, the door that went downstairs, all the closets, the bedrooms, everything. Now, there is a difference between buying a slab door and a pre-hung door because there's no hinge things in the slab doors, Right? So I get them home, and I'm like, all right. I'm start measuring. How am I going to do this? So I went and got myself a really good chisel because I figured that's what you just said. You just had to chisel it out. I mean, it was taking me like two hours a door, you know, to do this, keep from splitting stuff or whatever, and the measurements, and get it deep enough and et cetera and smooth. And like two hours a door. And so I finally got them all done. I mean, it took me a couple of weeks, you know, working Saturdays and when I was home in the evenings and this and that and trying to figure, keep the door straight while you're, it was a lot of work. And finally got them all done. I got them up and, and some of the doors started to swell. So then they wouldn't close anymore. 
So we went back to the box store to get a plane, you know, something. And lo and behold, they had an electric one. I'm like, wow, this is great. And then to my dismay, I noticed that right next to where the electric planers were, were these jigs that you could put on the doors, and you could just use a router to cut out the hinges. And I'm thinking, I wish I had known that before. You know, and, and that may be a little, but that's a lot of the way that you and I are living our lives sometimes spiritually. You know, Jesus came to be a teacher. He came to reveal us to us who God is and what God can do in our lives and all these great truths. And somehow or another, we just kind of pull out this truth from the back of our heads and says, I don't really need to know that stuff to do life. It, it, it just doesn't work that way. You and I miss out on some of the greatest truths that God has to teach us simply because we don't study or read or embrace Jesus as teacher. Can I give you a couple of words of encouragement here at the end related to embracing Jesus as teacher? First of all, one of the things I think I, I, one of the things I really want to get across to you is that you can come to understand this. I, I, I think a lot of us are intimidated by the Bible. I won't see a show of hands or whatever because sometimes you read the Bible and, and, and you get done reading it and, and, and you just feel stupid. You know, well, maybe I'm the only one in the world that feels that way. But sometimes I read the Bible because you know, there's some tough stuff in it. You start talking about words like propitiation and sanctification and glorification and all these big cations. And why, why isn't the word vacation in there? You know, it's all the other hard ones, right? You know, there's hard stuff in here. Even enough so that even poor Peter had to say, you know what, some of the stuff Paul's written, I don't get it all. I mean, I, I just, it can be hard. I, I know it can. But I want you to understand and believe for a couple of reasons that God really will help teach you. One, he's given you the Holy Spirit, the other part of the Trinity, to be a part of your life through your faith in Christ. And Jesus said specifically in John chapter 14, part of what he's going to do, he's going to guide you into all truth. If you are sincerely coming before the Christian saying, before the scripture is saying, you know, God, teach me. Guide me the truth. Keep me from making mistakes about the stuff I want to understand. God is going to honor that prayer, and you're going to come to understand it. Secondly, God has put people around you to do that. God has equipped the church with pastors and teachers, right? There's people around who can help you understand the word. You, on top of that, Jesus really tried to make a lot of it very understandable and graspable. You know, Jesus used a lot of object lessons, mustard seeds, sowers. You know, and, and, you know, he used great stories like the prince, you know, like the, the, the good Samaritan and the prodigal son and the list just goes on and on. All of those, you guys get those. You get those. You really can understand the scriptures. And I really challenge you to get into the word. Do it through a life group. Do it through whatever way works for you. Secondly, I want to remind us of this fact that what Jesus taught you and I really need to know. What Jesus taught, you and I really need to know. I say that based upon who Jesus is. You know, Jesus is the true light that has come into the world that enlightens every man. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can... Who he is and what he taught, we need. 
And secondly, not only is it, do we need what he taught because of who he is, but it's because of who we are. That every single one of us who receives him as Savior and as teacher, to us is given the right to become the children of God. And what Jesus taught out of who he is and who we are and what we can become, that stuff always matters. It never becomes irrelevant. It never becomes insignificant. It always matters. And that's why the, those who listened to Jesus teach in person were amazed at his authority. But I want you to see one more truth. Turn with me, if you would, and I know you still you got your fingers stuck in the book of John. Turn to John chapter 8 with me, page 909 in our pew Bibles. And I'm just going to conclude with this because our time is running out. Jesus had been teaching and there's been a lot of been back and forth. And a number of Jews had come to believe. And, and, and he, was, he was somewhat skeptical about the realness of their faith. And so in verse 30 of chapter 8, he says, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, if you are really my disciples, if you continue to learn from me, if you continue to let me teach you, if what I, I say shapes who you are, then you really are my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, they said, well, we're descendants of Abraham. And we've never been enslaved to anyone. I, I guess I think they forgot about Egypt, right, and 400 years of slavery. I think that they just kind of forgot about that part. Said, How can you say we'll become free? And Jesus said, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever. In other words, sin is eventually going to have its full cost in our lives. But a son does remain forever. Therefore, if the son sets you free, you will be free Indeed, I think there are ways, even as children of God, people who have a sincere, saving faith in Christ, there are so many portions of the freedom that God has granted us in Jesus Christ that we're just leaving on the table. Now, I've been doing ministry as a pastor for, for almost 30 years. You know, and, and I, I've known people who have a sincere faith in Christ. They, they love God but they're still in bondage. They're hanging on to guilt about something that they've done and they've never let the teachings of Christ about forgiveness sink in. There are others whose lives are just dominated by fear. You know, they're just so fear afraid of uncertainty and whether this and that and they just won't let the truth of the Scriptures of the providence and the caring of God penetrate into their lives. There's others who are carrying around bitterness and anger towards others that somehow or another they're, they're no longer going to be significant if they forgive these people and they're carrying this weight and they don't hear the word for, for, to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us and the list could kind of just go on and on. There's, there's so much that God's granted us, freedom from the things that want to hold us down and suck the life out of us that we're just leaving on the table because we haven't embraced Jesus as teacher. And let the truth 
set us free. You know, as Jesus concluded the, his teaching that we know as the Sermon on the Mount, he, he looked at the disciples, he said, you know, those of you who hear my words and do them are like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Wisdom takes hearing, being taught, and then doing that which we have been taught. My prayer is that we'll be wise today. Let's pray together. God, thanks for your heart's desire to teach us. That we might embrace and experience the fullness of the freedom that you give. Let us hear, let us do, let us be wise. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite our worship team to come. They're going to lead us in our final song of worship, and our ushers will come and receive our offering. You can place your connection cards in there so we can be in prayer for you throughout the course of the week. Let's stand and sing to the Lord this morning.